Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Warrior Circle. I'm super, super excited to have this discussion with my friend and soulmate and cohort, and I could say a whole lot of other things. This amazing person, Dawn Ward, who is a friend. She is a um, like-minded. We've been in the battle together for quite a number of years, but she also has her own mission, her own, the faith to flourish. And so she's out there helping people at the same time. We're, you know, we're linked arms. We are together, standing together. And so I thought it would be such a great idea today for you to hear from Dawn on a topic that she and I have talked about many, many, many times. And as a matter of fact, we could make this probably like a two hour session because there are so many aspects to this topic. So I'm hoping that she'll come back and we'll talk more about this general topic. And what it is today is we're going to talk about how the battle is for your mind. And so before we begin, I just want to say something really quick. Dawn and I were talking about how she decided that at a certain point in her life, she was going to take her mind back. She was going to reclaim her thought process and her mindset. But when does the battle for your mind begin? So I think that'd be a, a great first question for you, Dawn. What do you think about that, about when does this battle for our mind begin? Well, thank you for having me, Valerie. I really appreciate it. And that was a very interesting question that you asked, because I remember that we kind of talked about when I had my aha moment that all of a sudden I realized how my son's addiction was just holding me hostage. His addiction beast had come into our life and we had struggled with that with another son, our middle son, uh, several years before. And so I thought I had it all figured out. I thought that I had this tremendous faith and I was doing the right motions. I was taking the right motions, uh, the right steps, you know, to help my son, but I wasn't in the right mindset myself. So I was on that roller coaster from hell, as you call it, where if he was doing well, I was doing well. And if he wasn't doing well and he was falling apart, then it was as though the rug was just pulled out from underneath me. And each Can time I, I, I got to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. We're having a conversation. We interrupt each other all the time when we talk. <laughs> I have to interrupt you because I just want to say to anyone listening, can you relate to this? I hope I didn't mess up your thought process. No, you didn't. I wish I could see heads nodding because I think <laughs> this is, you know, even if a parent doesn't have a child in addiction and, and it doesn't matter how old they are, I think we can tend to ride that wave. We can. Almost as if we aren't separate. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have Absolutely. a separate life from them. So sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure that people were really getting that. Right. Well, you, it's such a good question that you had, because I think that I hadn't even thought that far back. Be even when I was looking at this monumental time in my life, when I said, okay, I don't want to live this way anymore. It was relevant to my son's addiction. It wasn't relevant to my entire life. And so as we talked about that, I, I realized, hey, you know what? You're absolutely right. The battle for our mind begins the day we're born. And there's constantly this contention going on between what we believe about ourselves and what is true and what we believe about life and our family and God and all of that and what is true. And so I realized that all the lies I had brought with me from childhood were, how, were part of how I was dealing with my son's addiction, but ultimately... They were all trashing out my mind and they had taken my mind captive. 
And so that aha moment for me was when I realized I didn't want to live this way. I mean, I told this story before, but it was when my husband said, you're going to worry yourself to death. And I said, you're right. You have permission to carve that on my tombstone. She worried herself to death. And right then I just felt like God just grabbed me by the nape of my, nape of my neck and said, no, it's going to say she trusted God. And I know that we've talked about everyone has, you know, their own idea of who God is and faith and all of that. But for me, I was somebody who professed to trust God from the time I was a young child. And yet I realized that there were so many situations where I was just constantly trying to take matters into my own hands. And I believed that the only way I could be happy really was if everyone around me was in a good place. Everyone. Can I ask you something, Dawn, about this? So you're saying you know, you're a person of faith, right? And you're not trusting God. So that aha moment, by the way, I think those low points are some of those important in our lives. So by mm -hmm. the way, anyone listening, who's feels like they're at a low point, my lowest point was one of the best moments of my life, right? Because it right. was that aha moment, like you're saying, mm -hmm. but what I wanted to say is that, or ask you, so you're this person who's known, loved and you thought trusted God and right. believed in all of this, all of these years, decades. Right. And then all of a sudden you said, wow, I'm not trusting God. I'm wondering if more thoughts started coming into your head. If yes. it's, you know, you had a little bit of a, what kind of a good Christian girl am I? Mm -hmm. Did you, you know, now you start beating yourself up for that. Right. And, you know, we could go down that uh, rabbit hole, that path of discussing just how, you know, the church and faith can, uh, it can mess with your head too, if you're not really careful and you're not asking God to, to show you the truth, as opposed to just what everyone else is telling you and what society is telling you and your pastor or your rabbi or whoever it is, is telling you. Uh, for me, the, the number one thing I had to work on was feeling like it was okay to work on myself. I had to work on that mind shift that without feeling guilty, because, oh my gosh, if I took time to actually Google help for the mom who is struggling and her head's messed up, you know, help for her. That meant I was taking time away from Googling help for my son. And I had spent all of my time and all of my energy fixing them. And on top of it all, I have a daughter who's on the autism spectrum. So I was just trying to figure out when in the middle of my son's addiction, I, I found out my daughter was had autism. And so now I'm trying to work on what I can do to fix her and make her life better and make her life easier. So it can be, it can be in any area of your life that you start to put blame and shame and guilt on yourself. And then to give yourself permission to actually take care of yourself and to start to work on how you think and how you believe that takes a little bit of work. And you, and you have to just push through the negative feelings that tell you you're not, you're not worthy. And that's what I had to do. I had to just say, you know what? The other way wasn't working. I have to try something else. So maybe, you know, maybe that's not so abnormal or even wrong for us to sometimes need to get to that point. Right. Because I think, you know, it sounds to me like you have the balls juggling, right? You're juggling mm -hmm. all the balls because I'm thinking yeah. about with Jaden and having her um, being on the autism spectrum that is a lifelong parenting role, mm -hmm. right? Different than, right. You know, your son who's out with his career and his wife and, and mm -hmm. all of that, this is a, so you already have that challenge of how do I separate myself? Right. 
you know, for people who don't have that lifelong commitment to have a child with them, they get to do have some kind of separation because, you know, often they'll go out and get married and have careers and they kind of separate right. from us. Yes. But when you have someone in addiction mm-hmm. or somebody in a situation like with Jaden, I think it's even more challenging for you to separate yourself, right? We're always going to be connected, but I mean, yes. can you talk about that? How, what a challenge that must have been and probably still is. Right. For you to find your own identity, and you said it earlier, to be okay with finding your own identity. Yes, because, you know, you've talked about this with your son as well, that what kind of an example are we li- living in front of them? How are we demonstrating faith and hope and courage if we're falling apart? And if everything that's coming out of our mouth and everything they're hearing is obsessing and and just our minds are held captive, like they've been taken hostage. And so everything we're talking about is about this one upsetting situation or this one, because that's not what our entire life is. It's not just that one person. And I know that sounds terrible because, you know, they're the one that seems to be suffering the most, but I had to, to let it click in my head that our family is a unit and that we're, we're working together as a team and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so every person in the family is a vital part, including me. And so, you know, not to let one suffer or one to take the lead and to dominate the entire family. So for me, it got to be something as simple as saying, well, the ones who want my help, I want my help. You know, I want my help. I think it's okay to, to say, look, this one person over here doesn't want our help right now. They're doing their thing. And one of the things I had to wrap my mind around, one of the truths I had to wrap my mind around is I wouldn't want someone coming into my life all the time and pointing out everything I was doing wrong and everything that was Mm. messed up about my life, because trust me, they would find a list a mile long. And so why was I hyper-focusing on trying to fix my son at a time when he was doing his own thing and didn't really want my help or my opinion. So I'm obsessing over every little move he makes, which basically when I would hear from him was when he needed something like money, you know, that type of thing, not real help because his dad and I love him very much. And we would give him the help that we could when it was, you know, when he really wanted it and when he was willing to access it. But in the meantime, the rest of us are falling apart. And when I turned around, you know, and looked at the house and looked at the family, there was like this collateral damage, like the Tasmanian devil had come tearing through and set off a bomb in the house. And it, and everyone was suffering because of it. Every relationship was suffering because of it. And when I stepped back and said, I'm not being to Jaden who I can be, you know, I'm not being my authentic true self to her. I'm not saying I'm doing everything for her. I'm not saying I can fix her stuff, but am I being who she needs me to be? You know, am I being who my husband needs me to be right now? Because I had taken from everyone else, including myself to to only give to the one. And so that was part of the battle for my mind too, was was, was it, you know, being able to say, it's okay. Like this particular day, one person might need mom a little bit more, or my husband might need my time to go out and do something with him. Or I just might need time to take a bath and relax and do something nice for myself that doesn't 
pertain to fixing everyone else. Can I, you know what I th- was thinking? I've got so many thoughts going through my mind with what you're saying though, but what a good point to say, you wouldn't want somebody to come in and start telling you how to fix your stuff. Now, granted, you know, you're not living in addiction and, and that's scary. Okay. Let's face I it. Get here. it. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to act like people, nobody here is trying to act like this is such an easy situation. You just do this. But what a good, when we get these new perspectives, I think it really helps because your thought process, and I know, cause I lived the same life. If I could just fix Jamie, right. then we'd all be okay. And we'd mm-hmm. all be good and we'd yes. all be fine. Yes. Um, but I think that probably before addiction enters our world or whatever it is that enters your world, we already had our minds being taken, taken captive by whatever. We just didn't know it. Right. Right. We so already. Yes. Yeah, so mine was about my worth and value were found in what I did, my performance and that performance coming from, you know, an, an alcoholic home had to be perfect. So it hindered a lot of the things that I would even take chances doing that I would step out and try because of fear of failure. And for those who don't know me or know my story, we've had two sons that have struggled with addiction. And so this goes back about 15 years. And yet you and I met each other about four or five years ago, right? Well, Jamie has been gone for five years, maybe six years. Yeah, about six years ago. So, I mean, that was a large part of my story, but what what addiction and alcoholism did and how it affected my thinking went back to when I was born as a child, you know, and what I grew up in. And, and so fear motivated just pretty much every decision I made, every decision. So you can imagine when I started to let go and that didn't mean let go of loving him. It didn't mean letting, letting go of, you know, caring for him and being a part of his life as much as I could be, um, or was smart to be, you know, cause sometimes there was just times I had to just erase a text message. Cause I was like, there's no value in you sending this text sure. message that kind of a thing. But I had to learn to start to say it was okay to feel a little awkward when I was starting to work on the battle for my mind and, and the thought process that I was going through that was, I found out was destructive, not helpful. You know, I was thinking, you said something earlier, Don, about being a role model. And I think this is one perspective that I have found to be so helpful that people go, aha, oh my gosh. Right. And it kind of goes back to that where you're still thinking about other people more than yourself. That's right. okay. If, if that's right. what gets you to start you know, doing this, that's fine. Because I think that we, when our minds are taken captive by the beast, you know, you all hear me talk about the beast or, you know, our own thoughts, whatever. I mean, these beasts come from all different sources, but when, when we're thinking that way, we're obviously speaking that way as well. I mean, you can only hold right. your thoughts in your head so much. We're also taking action or not based yes. on, because everything starts with your thoughts. So I'm thinking about you saying, you know, it's, you're a role model. And so you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, it's really bad if I focus on myself. But when you started to take your mind back, when you started, you mm. know, to, to say, I'm battling for my mind now. The battle is no longer for my mind. I'm battling for it. When you started to do that, I can imagine that your words started to be different. Some of the it, actions started to be different. Have you ever had conversations? And I, this is, this is uh, off the cuff here, people. I have not <laughs> asked Don this question yet. I'm just guessing. Have you had discussions about this with other members of your family? How you changing has 
helped them or impacted them or they can see the difference? Yes, because interestingly enough, Kyle, who's my oldest one that, you know, is the one that still has some ongoing issues, especially with some mental health issues and things. And he's doing really well right now, but he used to say, gosh, mom, you know, that label codependent when people would show up at our at our Celebrate Recovery meetings, and they would say they were a codependent. I would think, what are they doing here? I'm a heroin addict. Like, what is wrong with these women that they're in here complaining about being a codependent? What is that? He thought it was a big joke. But he started to realize that they were sicker in a lot of ways, and a lot of them being moms and wives and things. He said, oh my gosh. And so when he saw, now he looks back and he goes, I can see mom why you needed to, to do what you needed to do, because he goes, they get so sick and physically sick and everything because it starts to take, we know how stress takes a toll on us. And so both him and my other son, Matthew, have both said that when I started doing that, they actually saw me become more empathetic. It's like I could let my guard down and we could have. Oh, that's you know, interesting. More, I yeah, would never more, have thought that. I know uh, because they, they said, you know, you just became more accepting and because you weren't always trying to fix and change. And so it was easier to have a conversation with you. And when, and in doing so, what happened was we got to understand each other a little bit better. You know, we got to understand, like I cared more, I started to care more about their heart than I did about whether it was my job to fix them. Yes. Yeah. To hear what they were saying. And so it ends up that when I start talking to my sons, it's like, they're teaching me. And, you know, because now I'm seeing them in a different light. Did you and also think that maybe you took a little pressure off them? Cause you mentioned that earlier that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always like to say that somebody who's living with an addiction beast or whatever beast they're living with, they're right. already carrying this heavy weight. Mm-hmm. And then we put the responsibility for our happiness on top of that, right? We just pile yes. on the next thing, which is if you would just get better then I would be okay. Right. You know, or all the things that we're saying and doing. Um, also, I feel like when we're trying to fix other people, aren't we kind of sending the message that we don't trust that they can fix themselves? We are. That's a big one. And I also getting back to my faith, it was as though I was telling the women that I'm leading, you know, that I have, well, not even leading, just even friends at, at that point, you know, people that were observing me that knew what was going on. I'm saying, well, you know, God is good and he's faithful and he's all of this, but not for this situation, this situation over here. I still need to hold on to. You were talking about how you had faith, but not for this. And the reason I want to stop on that point is because I think we need to do a whole separate session. So if you would be willing to come back and we could have a whole conversation on this, I would really like to get into that particular topic. I'm making a note right here because I think a lot of people struggle with faith in general. Um, but that is such a good point and a good perspective to say, yeah, well, I have faith, but right. I'm still hanging on to this thing or that thing. So I think mm-hmm. we should come back to that. And okay. Cause we, I feel like we could go down a whole another path with that. So to close this up and I promise you, Don will come back and visit. Cause I'll make her, if not, I'll go to Vegas and record in her house. So, um, it, I'm putting you on the spot here, but is there just even one or two little tips, little, you know, something that someone could do today, if they feel like they are where you were, where you were saying, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm not even controlled my own thoughts anymore. Right. What can I do to start reclaiming my mindset? I think what we have to remember is that our, 
our old way of thinking is pretty broken. It's not to say that there's not some truth in there, but it's just combobulated and discombobulated and all messed up. So find the help. That's what I had to do. I had to give, give myself permission to ask for help. And who did I find? I found when I started Googling, I first one to pop up was Valerie. And so back, you know, almost six years ago, it was just looking at a little sheet of paper that you had offered a little PDF that you'd offered us for free that had your nine actions, which we now call the nine weapons of hope, right? Yes. And so the first action was to decide. And I had to decide that day that I was going to stand up and I was going to fight. And so sometimes it means just going against whatever it is that feels natural and just taking the next step. And that's what I would encourage that is just to take that next step, ask for help. And then for those of us who have walked down this road before, we're willing to share our story and hopefully those little pearls or some things that you could hold on to. That's great. Thank you. There, there are so many little nuggets in here. And I think that I'll come up with a whole list of topics that we can come back and have these little warrior circle chats later on if you're wanting to do that. Sounds great. I appreciate it. I really appreciate back. you so much. Your Thank perspective, you. your wisdom, your faith. Um, none of it's perfect, mm -hmm. but it's all good. And I'm just so thankful that you're a warrior and that you're out there with a mission to help people, to help yes. people find hope. Yeah. Wherever they are today, there is light on the other side, because I don't know about you, Dom, but however many years ago, maybe just prior to meeting you and, and starting my mission, I didn't know if I would ever be happy again. I didn't know I if I could ever have a different mindset. I didn't know. And I know for me, my world got worse around me. Stuff got a lot worse, mm -hmm. but I got better. Yes. And then life got better. I know that when you made your decision, your life didn't all of a sudden get easier, mm -mm. but it's been easier for you to yes. manage your life, right? Yes. Yes. We had a rough year last year and, uh, you know, my son struggled with a few suicide attempts and things. I don't want to, you know, I don't want anyone to think that, you know, life isn't in any way perfect, but I did find that when I began to think differently, when my mind began to shift, I could handle those situations when they occurred better. And, you know, I could keep in perspective. It, it helped me to see it in a better perspective. And yes, instead of just that little, key. that immediate moment when you're panicking, you know, to be able to see the bigger picture, that helped a lot. That's great. Okay, my friends, Thank the battle you. is definitely for your mind. So you get to decide. Is something or somebody going to keep controlling how you think, or are you going to start taking control of your thoughts? In fact, everything starts with a thought. So there's almost nothing more important than beginning to change your mindset and take your thoughts captive. Stop allowing everything and everyone to decide how you think and what you think. There is so much wisdom inside of each person and so much to offer be because we've been through so much. And so I love it when somebody like you decides to wake up and stand up and then you have such a powerful story to tell. So thank you again, Dawn. I love you. I appreciate you thank so you. much. And love you.